Hello, hello, hello. I have a friend named Matt. You know, he likes to wear a big old blaze hat. He likes to work out so that he isn't fat. Mm-hmm. That is my friend named Matt. Yeah. Welcome to Ministry Leaders Anonymous. My name is Chris Bartlett. And I'm Matt Rice, and we hope to provide a moment of sanity during a busy week of ministry. We've both worked in ministry for over 18 years and have seen just about everything. And as damaged as we are, we are ready to dive into and bring light to the hurts, hopes, and hungers that every minister has. All right, Chris, today it is uh, the debate over to prepare or not to prepare. Let's get ready to rumble. (laughs) Chris thinks there's going to be a fight here, and there, there might be a fight. Um, so we just finished confirmation um, at my parish, and every time that that happens, I wrestle with this whole idea. I wrestle with the way that we do confirmation, the, what it looks like, and one of the things that always comes up in one way or another is the kind of preparation we do and what that looks like, why we do it the way we do it, and then I, I end up down some rabbit hole wrestling with whether or not we should even do formation at all because when babies get confirmed, they don't have get any, any formation at all. So why are we requiring so much of older people who have already started the process of initiation, which we should finish regardless? Right. Right. Um, regardless of their formation, we should still finish it. But we still say, no, we're not going to finish this you know, initiation process because you have to go through these hoops. Yeah. In regards to the sacraments of initiation, um, when there's a baptized person who has not received confirmation, it is like an unfinished sentence, which I, I is frustrating, right? Is, uh, is incomplete. Um, nevertheless, it doesn't, doesn't mean that there's not grace that's still existing, but there is a fuller outpouring of grace, specifically of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for those who are confirmed, fully initiated. Sacraments are efficacious, right? And so there's part of me that wonders that if we allow people to receive these sacraments earlier on, that they'd receive the grace earlier on, that fuller outpouring of the Holy Spirit, right? And so are we doing a disservice? And your point is well made in regards to baptized babies don't have much preparation, but there is still preparation, right? Because the parents go through baptismal classes, the godparents go through some sort of formation. And so I, I, I feel like this is a, a great topic to discuss. Do we want to allow or have people receive the sacrament, even if they don't understand it, because the graces will be present, and maybe the graces will help them understand or live out. Maybe preparation should be after they receive the sacrament, so they can figure out how to use the superpower Holy Spirit that they have now. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing is, is like, who are we to say to the parents? No, your kid's not ready with regards to, uh, RCIA. There are two moments that that are discernment points for whether or not the, the person should continue on. I have never seen those moments actually utilized to discern whether or not a person should move forward. I think no matter what, everyone is just shuffled forward without any kind of discernment as to whether or not they should go forward. Now, that's painting with a broad brush over the whole Catholic Church, but I've never seen it used. Have you? Yes, I have. So the parish has told someone, wait. Yes. Awesome. Yeah, and, and so it's, it's about being properly disposed to the sacrament. And we've seen it in our own confirmation program where youth have chosen to wait, elected to wait. 
Now, now that being said, we've never denied anyone the sacrament or withheld the sacrament. It's about properly distributing the sacraments because the church exists to share her sacraments, right? So I, and that's the other piece is I feel like sometimes we ransom the sacraments, right? And preparation is a method to ransom the sacraments. So I want, I want youth to come to my youth program forever. So we're going to make it confirmation is a four year preparation process. You have to attend all four years. And then at the end of it, if you sat up straight and, you know, kind of muscled through, then you receive a sacrament. And that's not the unleashing of the, the grace of God that I believe the sacraments seek to, um, seek to do. Yeah, and, but the reason why we do that kind of makes sense, you know, because, I mean, and maybe this is, this is part of it is our, our own arrogance, you know, and our, our savior complex that, well, if, if they're here, then there's a chance that I can reach them. Because that's the thought, you know, is if they're here, there's a chance that I can reach them. Well, you know what? God's going to reach them in whatever way God's going to reach them on his own time. You're Just because you forced a kid to be in class doesn't mean that you're going to be the one that reaches them. Now, maybe God has it set up to where he, you're forcing them in the class. And then we have the chicken and the egg thing. Like, which one comes first? I have no idea. Um, but the way, that, the way that it's happening isn't, I feel like it's just not right because you've got People that are in the classes that don't want to be in the classes that aren't learning because they don't want to learn. But we, we put this feather in our cap that we had this many kids go through the program. And, and that's not accurate with regards to who's actually receiving formation because they're not well disposed to the formation to start with. The tension is at least we've exposed them to the information even if they didn't receive the information. But they've got walls built up. They're not, they're not receiving anything that we're giving them. But if they don't receive some type of preparation, they're still going to receive the sacrament either way. At least now we've had a chance to bark something against the wall. At least now we push them further away. Well, if that's what you believe, I, <laughs> I, I mean, don't. I, I'm, I, I'm not saying 100% of the time that that happens. But most of these kids, like most of the people that I've seen go through formation, go through it because they feel like they have to, either because they're getting married in the church, um, their spouse is making them, mom and dad are making me, whatever. And and I've I've seen very rare, very rarely, you know, does a spark happen, you know, in the lives of these kids, and it's almost never because of the formation. It's never because of the information. And then the youth who actually desire the sacrament feel like they have to wait until they're in eighth grade, ninth grade, tenth grade, whatever it is in your diocese, in order to receive the full fullness of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that comes with confirmation. And is that fair to them to wait, to almost delay their desire for God in that, in that arena? Well, and, and then you've got <laughs> those kids who, who want it, who get it and love their faith, interacting with those who don't get it, don't want it, and are going to be leaving after confirmation um, throughout this whole process. And you hope that the kids that get it rub off on the kids that don't, and something helps transform them. But you also have the opposite happen. You yeah. know, where the kids that don't get it, that don't want to be there. I mean, kids want to fit in. Like they, they want to do what their friends want to do. And if their friends don't want to do the like religion thing, they're like, well, I guess I shouldn't want to do this. You know, so I like, I don't know. I, I can't imagine that the early church would, would, would have done this, you know, would have taken a mix of people that don't want to do it and people that do want to do it and pushed them together and then baptized them and formed them. You know what I'm saying? 
Yeah, so maybe an aspect of it, if if we focus in not just on sacramental prep, but if we stay on confirmation specific, is the role of the sponsor. What is the role of the sponsor? Well, it's it's time for me to to honor my my aunt or my uncle. It's time for me to to get grandma to visit one more time, and and it's an honorary position. But the church requires a sponsor for a reason, right? And that type of accompaniment needs to take place, and maybe. We need to spend more time, just like in baptismal prep for infants, on the parents and more time on the godparents. Maybe we need to spend more time on the parents of those receiving confirmation and the sponsor of the, the candidate who's being confirmed in order to help them journey, because they already have a, a window or a role in the, the, in the life of the youth to journey with them. I mean, there's, I think there's a lot that we need to do, but I think it starts at baptism. Um, if, if we're going to bring in a parent to, um, to baptize their child, then we, we do more to equip that parent at that time to be the person who trains their child um, and raises them in the faith. I don't know what that looks like, really, but the, I, I don't think we can do, I wrestle with what we can do when, by, when they're you know, 14 or whatever getting confirmed because you, if you're going to put requirements on the parents, to, to do stuff rather than the kids, then you've got the same thing happening, but with parents. Well, then let's let's flip that. Let's go back to baptism. So there's a, there's a couple that has a newborn, and now in order to get them baptized, because we've increased the requirements for baptism, we are now asking them to come to seven classes so that they can be formed to be a, a accompanying their child on the journey of faith all the way through. And now they're like, seven classes, that's too much. You know what, this... Uh, this other, this other parish in town or this other um, denomination, it's just show up and get them baptized. Let's do that instead. Or let's not baptize our child at all. Like, it's, there is a tension. There's consumerism that exists. Yeah. I mean, like, and, and this is going to sound messed up, and I, I, I think I know what your answer is, but um, what's better, um, a, a baptized baby who will go through the motions, get confirmed, leave the church, or an unbaptized baby? Both are functionally pagan. Though there's no difference. Well, there is a difference. I mean, obviously well, there is. <laughs> there's a difference, right? <laughs> but functionally, they're, they're both pagan. And, and I guess the question is, is at the end of time, is there a difference? If I get baptized and then I don't follow Jesus, and the flip side is, is because of baptism by desire— if I never get baptized, but I follow and seek out Jesus in the best way that I can, then baptism that does desire actually occurs, and the, the pagan or the unbaptized person can enter into the kingdom easier than the, the, the non-practicing Christian. That's, what, that's, that's kind of what I was getting at. <laughs> you know? um, it, like we're, we're putting this burden of knowledge on people that are not prepared to accept that burden. I had no idea that I was getting to that point with this podcast, but this is a lot of fun. I know, but <laughs> like, we're, how does how does no formation help it? Like, I I see what you're saying, but I think like formation would help this process. Like, I, and this is this goes to a whole new, another discussion. Like, you're held to the standard that that of your knowledge, right? Of what you know, you're held to that standard with regards to God's mercy and God's justice, right? If He never tells you that killing is bad. Well, I mean, you should still know that killing is bad, right? But you're only going to know it to the natural law level, right? right. You're not going to know it to the to the supernatural level. 
Um, and so you're going to be held to that standard, right? So I wrestle with this all the time. Like the more I teach you, the more that the, the, the higher standard you're held to because of that. So then do we teach people or do we not? You know, like I wrestle with that. And, and why don't we teach people that want to be taught and don't teach people those that don't want to be taught? So if people want to, if people just want to like get confirmed because that's what you do as a Catholic and they don't want to learn anything about their faith, fine. You, you've already started the whole process of initiation. Maybe we shouldn't have started this process with you, but we have to finish it. Because this is all one thing. It, it, sh it should all be together. We started the initiation. We should finish it. But then those who want more, we, we teach them. And they want that burden. They're asking for it. And what team do you want to join? Just from, let's go back to consumer Catholicism piece. You want to join a winning team or at least join a team that works hard, right? Yeah. And so would that make those... If we, if we went ahead and said, we're only going to form those who desire this sacrament, who truly desire this sacrament, um, and then those, those, those people get confirmed, and they're the ones that remain active in their faith, people on the sidelines are going to see them and maybe hunger for the sacrament a little bit more than just uh, that it's, it's a, a rite of passage, which a lot of times it's, it's experienced as, or it's a necessary hoop to jump through in order to get married or in order to all these other pieces. What if our church would shrink so that it could explode? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the um, so I don't I, I don't know what this looks like, you know, on the, on the broader scheme of things, um, and and how much it will affect things. But I know that some of the pushback from the church, from your local parish, and even maybe from yourself is going to be, but my numbers will drop. You know, um, the the number of people that I have in preparation are going to drop. And that's, there's some pride and in, in ego there. And it's like, I, I would, I would rather, I, I don't, I love outreach and I love my outreach kids. Those kids that don't get it, that don't want it. Those are the ones I, I, I am, I, I go towards in every retreat, everything I go to. Those, those are, those are my people. Right. Um, but I, um, I wonder what it would look like to have a whole class of confirmation students who, who get it and who want it and they want to, they, they want that, the, the power of the Holy spirit alive in their life in, in a new way. And if you were working with them and how much further you might be able to go with that group than with a mixed group of people that could care less. But what if we did a, a program where we offered both routes if we offered, you know, we're going to have going deeper classes. And for those who really don't want to go deeper, who just want to kind of check the box, we're going to offer this track as well. I still think that people would sign up for the going deeper classes because Catholic guilt is strong. And they would say, no, I really should, even though that's not what I desire, I really should go this direction as opposed to that direction. So then you create a, a false sense of a option? Well, you wouldn't create it. They would create it because of Catholic guilt. But I still think that people would still choose the I'd rather be fully formed. I don't think so people are going to say, well, just how give me would the you, How would you say it to them? If you're a really good person, you go over here. If you're a bad person and you want to go to hell, go over here. Is that how you would present it? No. <laughs> you, know what, you know what the way to present it would be? Is uh, those, those who are ready for uh, going deeper in their faith, we have these classes and they meet on these five days or whatever. For those who want to do the crash course, the crash course is over here and it's a half-day formation. And you just make it to where it's like there's a really low bar 
a low uh, threshold of entry, and then the one that, that's a little bit more developed. I like that. I think that's a, a way to possibly do this. The uh, Obviously, you wouldn't need them to know that the going deeper version is going to require more of them. Um, I wouldn't do that. I think it's a horrible idea. I, I'm of the mindset of if you have 100 kids show up or, or 15, 20 youth show up and half of them don't want to be there, while they're there, program in a way that reaches them or attempts to reach them, even if they have those walls up. Like, I've been hitting against walls for almost 20 years now, Matt. Like, it's what, it's what youth ministry entails. Like, this is what we signed up for. But, like, the whole purpose is to be able to raise the level of what you're presenting. So you're not trying to, like, lower it down to their level. Um, does that make sense? You're, you're absolutely right. I, I think yeah, what and- you're doing in the crash course is what you just explained. You know, in the crash course, you're trying to get them to want more. Because you know your audience. Your audience is there because they just want to check the box. The other audience is the one who wants to go deeper. So you start at a higher level and you take it even higher. And this is the difference between evangelization and catechesis. Evangelization is for the crash course kids, so to speak, or the crash course people. These could be adults that are going through confirmation. But the catechesis, the ones that are ready for deeper formation, where do they go when most of our programs are evangelization-focused? Or vice versa— What's the point for a kid with walls up or a, a, someone going through the process uh, at, a, at a catechetical focused uh, confirmation prep when they, they don't care? They're not going to receive any of it. Nothing can penetrate. Yeah. 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 So I don't know, you know what this looks like in the church at large. Obviously, if you're going to start doing something like this, you need to be prepared for a, a huge influx of people to come to the the low bar. All the parishes around you, <laughs> everyone that hears that you have a one day of formation and you get confirmed, they're going to come to you, which may actually clear out <laughs> the, the the rest of the the parishes. Um, they yeah, won't even have to mess with it. Like one yeah, parish has you, to do it. Nobody else has to do one, it. Only one, yeah. <laughs> only one needs to take care of it. And then the rest of the parishes will have that uh, kind of the richer... The richer students coming in, um, but yeah, but but the question is, is well, what about my bishop and and his requirements for confirmation? Like, there's that reality. And here's what I would say: is if this is something that you want to do, if you want to explore or rethink the way that you are approaching sacramental prep, especially with regards to confirmation, and it means going outside of what the bishop requirements are, share your concerns with your bishop. Ask him to be like a prototype or a one-off and say, hey, we are doing this as an experiment to see what we can learn from it, to see what this would look like. Can we have three years where we do preparation a little bit differently? Get it in writing so that you can show your pastor or the other people that might come with concern and explain why you're doing what you're doing. I think it's okay to go outside the traditional norms of catechetical formation and even sacramental formation because the fruits of traditional sacramental formation are not as enriched as I believe the sacraments desire. Amen. And that's a, great, that's a grave concern, not just for them, but in the church as a whole, because the church in a whole is shrinking. Mm-hmm. We are shrinking, right? We are losing, and so if we, if we expect something different, we need to do something different. Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, you're uh, you're going to have to have your pastor on board, too. So I don't, I mean, don't go to your bishop before you go to your pastor. <laughs> true. Absolutely true. Yeah, <laughs> you, need, yeah. you need a pastor with vision who, who wants to, wants to, like, I turn the tide, you know, of, of what's happening in the church. And so it's, it's exciting to think about that. One of the reasons why this came up is I'd actually heard of a bishop recently who, 
um, kind of said, no formation is needed at all for confirmation from the bishop. And so then the youth minister was, or the whoever, I mean, I don't know who it was, but whoever they were um, like, well, what do I do? They were upset at their bishop. And I was like, should you really be upset? That gives you a whole lot more freedom with regards to what to do. And yeah, anyway, so there's no requirement, but then you can actually uh, set, do something like what we just talked about, which I think is exciting. Yeah, but a lot of parishes use the confirmation requirement as an engine to get people there. Yeah. And then we have to rethink our youth ministry program altogether. Like if it's no longer people are required to come, what does it look like to be compelling uh, week after week after week for those who want to be there? How do we nourish that and how do we grow that as well? And it becomes a bigger, a bigger conversation. Now that you mentioned that, I actually, I think I, I want to get Sam on the show. So um, we started doing, Blaze started doing ministry up in the St. Louis area a year and a half ago or so. Um, it wasn't that long ago. So it hadn't even been a year. It feels like it's been forever. They do confirmation at a much younger age than we do in our diocese. And so the youth ministry program looks completely different. And, I, and then she got to experience both. She did youth ministry here in the Diocese of Austin, and now she's doing youth ministry up in the Archdiocese of St. Louis. And I want I would love to get her opinion on that because it's, oh, it's totally she's been, different. She's experienced both. Yeah, and there's a number of dioceses that have moved to restored order. Yep. Right? Which means that it goes baptism, confirmation, and then First Holy Communion, which means by age eight, most of these youth have gone through it. What does youth ministry look like in those dioceses? Yeah. Because it can't follow the same model of, uh, you know, lead the donkey with a carrot and say sacramental prep is the carrot that leads the donkey. You know, we can't do that in, in those dioceses. So it might be worth uh, examining that. Absolutely. All right, guys. Well, we are going to continue this conversation online. We're ending this podcast a little early. We just wanted to make you guys uncomfortable for a little bit, and I feel like <laughs> we've succeeded. So there you go. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it, there was a lot in there that's like, like I don't know, bah, like mind-blowing, but maybe maybe not. Maybe it's just enough to, to make you pissed off. <laughs> and let us know. And you can uh, yeah. let us know. You can send your feedback to MLA at ablaze.us. Uh, yeah, that's right. Good job, Chris. <laughs> it, it changes so much. And then um, also uh, at, uh, at Facebook, search Ministry Leaders Anonymous and join our closed group. Here at Ministry Leaders Anonymous, we believe that if you want to go quickly, go alone. And if you want to go far, we go together. Take some time this week to rethink sacramental prep. Rethink it, be uncomfortable, and to pray for other ministry leaders. We will see you next week on Ministry Leaders Anonymous. God bless.